Hey, everybody. We're so pleased to welcome Vertical Church Band to New Life. So uh, tonight they're going to be leading us in worship for the main session. But before then, they just wanted to share a little bit about their hearts and vision for worship ministry and the church and specifically how to plan high-impact services. And so I'm super pleased to welcome them. And uh, they're going to probably open up for a little Q&A later. So be thinking during the monologue about what you want to ask them. So give it up for Vertical. Hey, everyone. Hey, everyone. That's what I like. Who stands on a stage every weekend and says, good morning, church, and no one responds to them? All right. All right. Me too. So let's just make this a bit more participatory. It will be great. Uh, so uh, we're thrilled to be here. We just, we just all kind of got off on a plane, uh, got off a plane, and, 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 and Meredith and Jacob came from Nashville, and we came from Chicago. Uh, let me introduce everyone here. Uh, obviously, you have to start ladies first. Uh, my right, your left. This is Meredith Andrews. Welcome her, please. She's the only one who needs a clap. You don't need to clap for the rest of us. Um, sitting over there with uh, Meredith is Jacob. Uh, Jacob is uh, the producer for our Vertical Church Band Records. Um, along with Jason Ingram, who is just sitting in Jacob's seat there. And, um, and Jacob serves at, with Meredith. They are married, um, but in their own right, worship leaders and serve as worship leaders at Harvest Bible Chapel, which is our church in Chicago uh, that Vertical is born out of. Um, and then over here, this is um, Eddie Hoagland, Eddie is a worship leader at our church, um, kind of the owner of music on the ground uh, at Harvest, so overseeing music for our weekend services and influencing that greatly, a songwriter. Um, my name's Andy. I'm one of the worship pastors at Harvest. Um, I know I don't have a Chicago accent. Uh Born and raised in London, England, and came over here 15 years ago uh, to serve Harvest, and it's still my home. So uh, we want to talk to you today about high-impact service planning, and uh, high-impact, what that really means is um, getting, for us, the, the whole vertical concept is um, extremely important to us. It's not something that came out of a band our church is 27 years old this year, and um, our pastor, who's the founding pastor of our church for those last 27 years, has been um, promoting a philosophy of ministry that we believe is much broader than just the name of Harvest Bible Chapel and um, a vertical concept of eyes on the Lord, eyes off of ourselves. Um, like we are better Christians and better worshipers when the finger isn't pointed at ourselves but pointed at the Lord. That's the briefest way for me to say it. And would you agree with that? Okay. And uh, so we're going to jump into four different realms of how we 
planned services and everything behind that from philosophy to pastoring volunteers to uh, the worship leader in their private life and, um, and the content and the songwriting that goes behind Vertical Church Band and our commitment to content as a church. Ready to go? Say jump. Say jump. Great, good. All right, let's jump in. Okay, so first thing is uh, the concept of uh, high-impact services. Can I stand up? Okay, I feel like very... (laughs) Okay, thanks. Can I take my jacket off? (laughs) I feel like... Ready to go? Okay, here it is in, in 10 minutes. Every church that we, we believe needs a worship philosophy that they build their services on. Why? Because otherwise, uh, we become event planners. And event planning is okay, but the concept of an event planner believes that bigger is better. Every year, I take my kids to the car show downtown Chicago, and every year, they are outdoing themselves because they should do, because they are event planners. They believe that bigger is better. Uh, Let's take a company like Apple. They believe that bigger is better, right? Constantly trying to reinvent themselves. Loved ones, the content of what we present and produce and handle at the weekend, the gospel of Jesus Christ, does not need beautification by us. Amen? The Bible does not need you to build scaffolding around it to hold it up. It does not need to be made look pretty, made to look pretty by you to be able to be received by someone. The gospel of Jesus Christ is powerful enough for a child in their bedtime story or a man on a street corner to accept it in exactly the same way. Doesn't matter the presentation, just has to be true and accurate. And as worship leaders, when we uh, think like event planners and think the bigger is better, that's, to me, that's just a road to burnout. And that is because we build our worship services like a house on the sand where, um, do you know what the weekend is that I feel this the most? Because I'm preaching to myself here. I just want to make that clear is the weekend after Easter. At Easter, we uh, pull out every gun we have from the closet and fire it. We have choir, we have orchestra, we have confetti cannons that we fire into pretty low-ceilinged rooms uh, and to basically try and rev- trying to uh, celebrate the awesomeness of the depth of the message of that weekend. And I don't feel like in anything that we do that God is looking down on our services and being like, hmm, you guys kind of overdid it a little bit this weekend. But then comes the problem for the worship leader, the service planner, who then comes the weekend after Easter and they think, what do I do now? How do I wow my people? And that is the mindset of an event planner. That is not the mindset of a shepherd. And the mindset of a shepherd is someone who basically, you will see this thread through everyone who speaks today. The mindset of a shepherd is someone who loves the people more than the music. 
loves the people more than the form. Jesus calls you to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself, and that's it. Love him, love the people. End of story. Everything else is very much secondary to that. So, for us to be able to do that every weekend, we needed to look at what we're building the house on. And that house is going to look different every weekend because we're creatives, made by a creator God to be creative. Amen? Great. And if you're not, you should quit because there's a guy behind you with a thousand ideas ready to go. Right? But what is that foundation that we're building on? For us, for us, a lot of us in the room here, a lot of our weekend services are based on songs, right? So let's look at the con. So we decided to look at the content of the songs and categorize the songs. And to categorize the songs, we need to know where we're going. You and I, who have accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, have a destination to your life, and this world is not that destination. Amen. There's a final destination coming for you. And in Scripture, God gives us a little insight into that destination and the activity of what's going on there. Zephaniah 3.17 says, God is rejoicing over us with singing. There's a lot of shouting and a lot of saying. And in what's familiar about all of that is there's a specific content going on. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. As you look at all the content that's being used in heaven, it is vertical. I'm not trying to ascribe you to that vertical word or recruit you to it. It's just, that's just the best word I have. Ascriptive. Eyes on the Lord. The absence of ourselves in the conversation. Um, so if we have a destination to the end of our lives, actually our lives are completely consumed by destination, when you came to this conference, you didn't go to the church down the street, and when you go home, you won't pull into the, your neighbor's house next to you. Our lives are just consumed with destination. So, for the most important part of the believer's week, it's very important that in our worship, we know where we're going, and we have a destination in mind. Because if we don't know where we're going, no one else knows where we're going. My pastor says, a mist in the pulpit is a fog in the pew. So, what is that destination? Well, that destination is content-based in our worship, not musical-based. Because I imagine in this room alone, there's a lot of different styles represented in this room. But this is a content-based thing. In fact, the Scripture itself leaves out a lot of how we should play and what music should be like besides loud, new songs, skillfully, clapping, singing, but no styles. The reason I believe that is because uh, musicians in the room, put your hand up. Musicians, we ascribe to meter to be able to perform music, correct? Meter exists because of time. God is in the absence of time and we will be with him there. So if we're in the absence of time, we will be in the absence of meter, which suggests that God is reserving a style of music for himself that you don't know yet. (laughs) 
God is in the absence of time, and without time, you can't have meter. And without meter, you can't have any style of music that you currently know. Do you think you've seen all the colors? Do you think you know all the words? No. That's why that releases us in this structure to just go for content and not style. Have a content. Pick one. Do it well. That's my encouragement to you. Just pick one and do it well. The reason we don't do reggae in our church is because if we did it, we would do it badly and offend the people who love reggae. That's why we don't do it. We picked a style. In fact, it happened in a conversation between Jacob and I. I said to Jacob, Jacob, I need you to find a style and I want you to teach us to do it well. So in categorizing our songs, in categorizing our songs, the destination has to be a vertical content. So we actually ended up with five categories. I want you to write one, two, three, four, five. In fact, one at the bottom heading up to five, like you're ascending a hill. And that five, like I said, is vertical ascriptive content. Let me give you some examples of those songs. It would be like, um, how great is our God? The splendor of the king, robed in majesty, let all the earth rejoice. He wraps himself in light and darkness tries to hide and trembles at his, vo- at his voice. How great is our God? The song is the complete absence of us. Revelation song. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. Holy, holy is he. Uh, strong God. Sing out, lift your voice and cry out, awesome is our strong God. These songs don't have to have the language of holy, holy, holy in them, but what's characteristic of all that language going on in heaven is the absence of us. Now down to the bottom of that that system, uh, ones, we would call those uh, gathering songs. Gathering songs. Okay, if I invite all of you over to Chicago, and you'll show up on a bus, and you come in, and we spend a day together, and then towards the end of that time, I stand up on a stage like this, and I say, welcome, everyone. I'm just going to say, if I was standing there, if I was sitting there in the crowd, I'd be thinking, really? Like if you have people over to your house, and you're serving them dessert and then you welcome them to your house. What kind of weird conversation is that? (laughs) But interestingly, we have a lot of songs that do that. Praise is rising, eyes are turning to you. Come have your way among us, we welcome you here, Lord Jesus. Um, Here for you. Let our praise be your welcome. Let our songs be a sign that we are here for you. We welcome you with praise. We welcome you with praise. Uh, we sing a song called Open Up the Heavens. It says, we've waited for this day, Lord. We're gathered in your name. Show us, show us your glory. Not you've shown us your glory. And the glory we're talking about here is the manifest presence of God, not the omnipresence of God. This is the presence of God that doesn't exist in this room at 3 a.m. when the lights are out. 
This is the manifest presence of God that comes down into the room from heaven to take our worship and transport it to the heart of Jesus, the recipient of our worship. And these are the songs that we would sing at the beginning of a worship time. Then it leaves this gap in the middle, which I'm just going to give you number three. So one is a gathering songs, five vertical songs, threes, what we would call testimony songs. Testimony songs, because loved ones, in the journey that we're on in our life, we're heading towards a place where all tears will be wiped away. And there will be no need for our needs anymore. Amen? Interestingly so, that's why the content in Scripture is the absence of us, because it's all focused on one direction, not the band. But, thank God, but, uh, but, uh, but we are very much not in that place right now. My church really is a hospital. That's what my church is. It's a, it's a hospital where broken people show up every weekend. They come in broken, rebroken. They come in wounded. They're bleeding. They're hungry. They want to be fed. And they need to sing, oh, no, you never let go. You never let go of who? Right. So if the song was a hand, say every worship song was a hand with a finger pointing on it, um, you know, open up the heavens or here for you or come now is the time to worship or open the eyes of my heart. I don't know how backdated your song category is. That's fine. No, no. No, with respect, come thou fount of every blessing. Tune our hearts to sing your praise. It's actually the finger is pointing at us. Then, oh no, you never let go. You never let go of me. The finger's pointing at me. I'm the object of the song. The hand still represents the faithfulness and the awesomeness of God, but the finger is pointing at me. Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Worthy, worthy is his name. The finger's pointing at who? Loved ones, our weekend services are not the big event for Christians. There's only one big event coming. Our weekend services are a mess of mistakes and broken blind people leading the blind. Can I get an amen on that? My weekend services are rehearsals for the big event. And a finger pointing at me in the content and the conversation of worship is a very dangerous position to have a destination of worship with. Because that's not the final destination. And as we rehearse our people every weekend, may we, may we be careful to rehearse them as we gather them and then we allow them to sing songs about themselves. But also, may we also be careful, be careful to end our worship times with the fingers pointed completely at the Lord. Whether you do that in one and a half songs or five songs or ten songs, it doesn't matter. 
And when you plan it, when we plan a service, we don't just write one, two, three, four, five on the board and then fill in the gaps. That's a bad, bad thing because that's serving in the agenda and that's back to event planning. If you're going to write any number on the board, we write a five because that's where we're going to go every weekend. And what that means is back to the weekend after Easter, many times, years ago, to my fault, I burnt out every volunteer I had a weekend or the, and Good Friday and the rehearsals leading up to that to the point that no one wanted to serve the weekend after Easter. And that's okay. In, it was bad in the sense that I needed to fix it in years to go forward. But that was okay in the fact that I was going to just stand on stage in a room full of 2,000 people or 200 people just with my guitar and lead people to that five, to that vertical place, whether I had confetti cannons, an orchestra, a rock band or not. And the people didn't worship any differently because the house looked different, but the foundation was the same. Okay. Yeah, sorry. Thanks. Eddie's such a good friend to me. So twos and fours. <laughs> twos and fours. <laughs> Man, that would have been a long line of people up at the end. Being like, uh, uh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Eddie. Uh, uh, what I call transitional songs. Transitional songs. So a good transitional song that calls people to worship yet starts focusing the finger upon me would be, um, blessed be your name. Verse 2 says, blessed be your name on the road marked with suffering, though there's pain in the offering, blessed be your name. Wow, that's some pretty heady content and heart content for you to think that this is, okay, listen to me, like God is not tuned in to the voices of our mouths when we worship him. He didn't design worship that way. He only listens to the voice coming out of our heart. And when I t spend 25 minutes dro dropping off and, well, really wrestling my kids into class before worship and then go and find a seat to sing that kind of content, I'm telling you, it's coming out of my mouth, but it's not coming from my heart. I just need someone to say, welcome. Let's go worship the Lord. And then before I start heading into that deeper content, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, your perfect love is casting out fear. Wow. Just need a second just to get there, get there, get there. And then a four would, again, be transitional. The song I always like to think of is uh, Your Name by Paul Balash, which verse 2 says, Jesus, in your name we pray, come and fill our hearts today. Lord, give us strength to live for you and glorify your name. Then what happens in the chorus? Your name is a strong and mighty tower. Your name is a shelter like no other. Your name, let the nation sing it louder because nothing has the power to save. So we have five categories, but you could just have three. And I want to be very careful because I'm a tormented artist like a lot of you are in the room, right? Is just add a heavy disclaimer here that I'm not trying to say to you that my thing's better than your thing. I'm, I'm just here on the stage with a mic saying you've got to have a thing. And picking your favorite songs isn't a thing. 
picking your favorite songs is for you and the Lord in the secret place. But you loving the people more than the music is giving them a foundation bigger than your personal philosophy that you can build a church on. This is like the, hello, hello, check, check. I'm not good enough to teach, I guess. I'm, I'm out of luck. No, uh, this is like the TED Talk version of our workshop, which is really good for you guys. Normally this takes like about four hours. So here's just a little snippet of uh, what I want to talk about. Because when you have a service philosophy, and these is kind, this is kind of how you're planning your service, what you need also to implement the service is people. And uh, everyone is constantly trying to figure out how do we get the people, how do we, get, how do we grow the people, how do we get more people, how do we get better people. And, uh, well, it's a very basic principle. I found uh, God entrusts sheep to shepherds. And uh, a lot of times we kind of look at our ministry and assume that every single leader is a shepherd, but that's not true. It's not necessarily the same skill set, though there can be overlap. And I found that there is a need for people to be aware of their shepherding skills and the leadership that you have put over your people. If you're trying to get your volunteers, people from your church to be serving, well, then you need to probably have people who are caring over them. And uh, I think a lot of times that's been an area that's been neglected. And there's people who serve for years and years and years and no one's at all looking over them. And then they just burn out and we're like, well, what happened? Well, actually, you could have probably known something was wrong five years ago if you would just try, try to know what's going on. And I found that uh, good shepherds uh, are good sheep. So one of the things, if you're trying to figure out, am I that? Do I have that skill set? Am I a good shepherd? Like, do I lead people? Not the good shepherd, but am I a good shepherd? Uh, am, I, am I shepherding people well? Well, ask yourself, are you someone who is led well? as well. I've never met a great leader who I've just been like, man, that guy, I would serve under that guy's leadership, who's a guy who's resistant toward the authority and structure he has over him. Uh, every, every person that I respect and admire in this regard, uh, they also submit to the leadership that God puts over them. So ask yourself that. That's the first question. If you're a shepherd, are you being led well? Are you a good sheep? Uh, do you have a shepherd's heart? Proverbs 27 says, uh, know the condition of your flocks. So make an assessment right now. Out of the people God has entrusted to you, do you have any sense of where they're at in their lives? Obviously, you can't know them all to the full degree, but do you have a sense of their condition, of your flock? If you don't, well, then maybe that's why your flock is small, because God is actually protecting the people who would be under your leadership. And he's not going to give you more people until he's sure that you are being faithful with the things that he has entrusted to you. So stop. you don't, you got to get out of this thinking of, man, I just have three people. Are you kidding me? You have people. You have three people to lead. That's an awesome opportunity that God didn't give to anyone else but you. And I've just found as, as people are faithful with the things that God has entrusted, then he will give you more. He doesn't promise you more, but as long as you're being faithful, it doesn't make a difference. Honestly, I could, I could lead three people. I could lead 30. It doesn't make a difference to me as long as I'm doing what the Lord called me to. And because I care about them and because I want them to be growing and I want to have a growing ministry, uh, that is why I'm involved in their lives, and I am involved in their development. So how do we develop people? Do we want to develop people? I've been a part of ministries that had no interest in developing me. It was just kind of like you audition, you get a yes, and then just serve forever. And uh, I don't want to be a part of that ministry. <laughs> Honestly, that's kind of um, it's a sad thing to see because healthy things grow, and we want to be healthy. We want to be a growing body. And so just as much as like healthy congregations have growing in them both numerically but also just spiritually primarily is the important piece. But I want my volunteers to be growing. So how do I get them to grow? 
Well, again, first off, let me just throw this out there. This is for the shepherd. This is not for the person who's interested in reaping the musical benefits of good musicians. All right, if that's what you're after, if you're just looking towards that band, you're just like, I just want it to be easy on weekends. Well, if that's what you're after, just ignore everything I'm about to talk about because you're going to do more damage and you are going to do good for those people. So, but if you are a shepherd's heart, if you genuinely care about people and you want to, uh, you want to grow them, well, why do I want to grow them? Psalm 33.3 says this, sing to the Lord a new song, and then it has these two words, which I love. It says, play skillfully. I want people to play good because God wants them to play well. I mean, God is the one who says, I want you to play skillfully. Don't just make this some hobby that you just kind of do. Give it your very best and make it as skillful as you possibly can. So if I'm going to lead these people, if I'm going to shepherd them and I'm going to grow them, then I also need to care about the things that the Lord cares about. And so if it's no longer I'm trying to make them something for me. It's actually God entrusted these people to me and God wants skillfulness. So therefore, I'm being faithful to the Lord in developing these people. How do you develop people? Very simple, but incredibly difficult. Uh, you have to have three things in place. You can apply this to yourself. You can apply this to the people you're developing. Uh, you have to have a sense of assessment, number one. People need to know where they're at. This is really hard, especially because we live in the American Idol kind of culture where uh, people can like live their whole lives, be awful at something, go audition at American Idol, and the, you see it in their face. They're like 100% shocked that they're bad. You know, they get told that they're bad. And it's so entertaining that it makes television, you know, because they actually believe it, right? Like, they believe they're amazing. They get told they're not. And, uh, and because of that, we, we're just like, we're, we're on the side of culture where people actually believe it's better to lie to people than to love them enough to tell them the truth. Uh, and what you don't realize is by lying to them now to avoid just a little bit of conflict, you're actually saying, hey, it's okay for you to live your whole life with this lie. And when that catches up to you, it's going to hurt a lot more then. But I'm not going to be there, so I don't really care. That's not loving at all. That's not love. I don't know what that is, but it for sure isn't love. So being honest and having a sense of assessment is really healthy in your culture. That can happen however you want. You can, um, it for sure doesn't happen on stage, at least with me. Most of the assessment, I, when I'm giving people feedback, it's off stage, it's at, at you know, Starbucks, it's when we're out for lunch, it's backstage in the green room, in the context of a relationship. Also, Scripture says we should speak the truth in love, right? We're not going to bring the truth like a sledgehammer. Hey, you're awful, see you next week. Like, that doesn't, that doesn't help anyone. But if they're never told anything, how are they going to get better? They don't know they have to get better. They don't even feel the need for it to happen. So here's what we did to figure out where people are musically. Again, we're removing just a sense of we're trying to assess their musical skills so that we can help that improve so they can play skillfully for the Lord. That's the goal. So what we did is we created another, surprise, surprise, a one through five system of musical skill. We're much more for clarity than creativity in these matters, as you can tell. Uh, so again, one, two, three, four, five. Five is the most skillful person. One is the person who... Got a yes in the audition, but that's all they got. You know, like they just barely made the cut. And we sat down as a staff and said, what, what makes someone great at electric guitar? What makes a drummer awesome? Like, instead of it being this subjective sense of, well, every time they're on, it just feels great. Well, that doesn't help anything. We're trying to figure out what is it that makes them great. Okay, let's start figuring out objective truths of skillful players. Well, last week I changed the key and the keyboard player just did it by himself and played all the leads and it was great. You know, I didn't even have to reprint the chart for him. Okay, well, now we have something objective. We could say for a keyword player in our church, the five, the highest level would be someone who can change keys on the fly. 
all right, and can play the leads with it, right? So you can, you can kind of start figuring out what are the objective truths and then just goes down the list. And, and it could be, like Andy said, all these systems, you can make it three steps, five steps, 10 steps, whatever you want. But having a sense of these are the objective things that make someone better. Here's how this is really helpful. People who are worship leaders, who are over musicians and maybe don't even play the other instrument, like, you know, a lot of times I tell worship leaders, do you know what a five bass player would even be? You know, and a lot of times they're like, yeah, I don't know. As long as he hits the right chord, I'm happy, right? It tends to be poor bass players. They don't get a lot of input. But um, uh, it's really helpful to have this system because now we have things for every instrument, regardless of if you play it or not, that you can start seeing, oh, well, this person can do that and they can't do this. So they're somewhere around the two level. All right, now we have a sense of assessment. Now, do we go tell them what number they are? Absolutely not. Why? Because if I communicate a number system, then I'm just telling you, hey, you're just like on this assembly line and you're like this robot I'm trying to build. That's not my heart, right? I already told you guys what my heart is. I want to be faithful to grow them so that they can play skillfully for the Lord. So I never tell them what number they are, but I use the things that are there as objective truths to be able to share with them. Hey, you're really good at this, right? So the things below them, you're good at this, you're good at this. But I think the next year you just need to dedicate yourself towards this one thing. All right, so now we're at the second step of how you grow people. First, you assess them. Secondly, you have to explain the next step. All right, don't give them two, well, at most two things. But don't give them all the things they need to know about how to become the best player in their instrument. Give them one thing. Give them something they can go home so they've already been willing to let you assess them, which is not easy, and it takes a humble spirit, but that's the kind of people you need in your ministry anyways, right? Those are the people that God blesses and pours his grace out on. So they've already received your feedback, that sense of assessment. Okay, I am a two. I, I have this skill set. But now I gave them something practical that they can go home and do instead of just have this sense of, oh, I'm not great. Okay, well, that's not helpful, but if I give them something to do, then the people who want to love the Lord with their skill, they're going to go home and they're going to work the snot out of whatever you told them to be working at, all right? They're just going to go for it, and they're going to dive into it, and they're going to start getting better. And the last thing you have to do, so first thing you have to assessment, assess them. Second thing you have to do is give them the next step. And the third thing you have to do is inspire them. So don't have uh, a sense of here's just like only the next step. There has to be a sense of where are we headed overall. And this is really healthy for ministries to kind of know, like Andy said, it's, it's good for you to pick a style and run with it. So once you've picked your style, who are the people that, that play that music that are great at that music? And start handing those CDs to your volunteers and say, hey, this is the kind of people we want to sound like. These are the bands we want to sound like. Um, just musically, that's a healthy thing for them to look up to other musicians. Because you think about how you and I got better at any instrument. There's someone who influenced us in a positive way. All right, there's that sense of inspiration. Man, that guy's awesome at that. I want to be as good as him someday. That's a healthy thing to look forward and look up to some people so that we can start using our sense of assessment. Okay, I'm not there yet because all, if all you do is assess people, then all you're going to do is discourage them. It can't be by itself. You can assess them, and if all you do is inspire them, then you just overwhelm them, right? Like, hey, you're a two. I want you to sound like Hillsong, the end. They're not going anywhere. They're not going anywhere. They need that next step to be able to create progress. So here's how this is really beneficial. When I have a volunteer who for two years I feel like they haven't been growing, I just figure out what of those three things is not happening. Because it's always at least one. Most times it's two. So this guy hasn't been growing. Do I, ha do I think he knows where he's at? Maybe. Okay. Do I think he knows what to do next? No. I haven't told him anything in a long time. Do I, do I think he knows where we're headed as a ministry? No, I actually haven't even 
really decided that. I haven't put much thought into that. And then I just fixed that with that person. And I've just found that the people, again, these are humble people who want to serve the Lord with all their hearts. You just hand that to them, and it's just a matter of time. Right? And then you stick with those people, and 10 years later, you're like, whoa, where did all these people come from? Well, it's because you were faithful with what you had today. And then the Lord will entrust you those things over time as you are faithful with that. So that's how we kind of have a general sense of shepherding in our ministry. Obviously, uh, people, are, people are not easy, right? My uncle, who was a pastor, used to always tell me, hey, I'd love ministry if it weren't for the people. <laughs> but that's obviously a joke because they are the ministry. That's what, that is what we're giving ourselves to, um, and we are equipping the saints for the work of the ministry that they might be able to pour out in service to the Lord. And, uh, but one person you need to worry about is, uh, is the person that you are most in charge of, and that's yourself. And a lot of times you can be so spent on pouring out on other people that you can neglect yourself, all right? And this is, a, this is, rampant in churches where there's such a healthy ministry and then suddenly it's gone because the person leading it wasn't actually growing themselves. They, they didn't have the fire inside of them before it was happening in others. Uh, so managing that is a really important topic and I want to invite Meredith to kind of speak into that a little bit. Can I sit? Oh, hi. Thanks. Um, yeah, I just, I want to talk a little bit about um, uh, being a private worshiper long before you set foot on a stage. And that's something that the Lord has, I feel like, just so drilled into my heart and my head um, since I started, you know, kind of had this concept of um, singing to the Lord in front of people and, 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 and calling people into the presence of God. And um, when I was in high school, I, I remember, like, being in this youth ministry that was kind of... Um, abnormal, I guess, but also really amazing and, and significant in that, like, we would spend time as a youth group just seeking the face of God together. And we had a Saturday night youth service where uh, we would just spend, like, an hour worshiping, and then there would be a little bit of teaching, and then we'd spend, like, another hour worshiping. And it was, like, all these kids that were just hungry for God, and that's how I grew up. And so I remember, like, when I was a kid, just uh, I would get alone with the Lord because our youth pastor would always teach about, like, you have to get alone with the Lord. You have to find God in the secret place. You have to, you know, Learn what it means to worship God long before you set foot on a stage. And, and so I'd get in my room and I'd close my door and I'd turn on my, you know, delirious cutting edge records. Anybody? Yeah. And like some old vineyard or Rita Springer. And I'd just go to town and just have this amazing time with the Lord, you know. Like just God ministering to me and me pouring out my heart to him and learning what it meant to worship God apart from um, a stage or apart from the lights or apart from anybody else being in the room. There was, there was no agenda. It was just I just wanted to get to know God better. I wanted to know his heart and I wanted to sing to him. And, and he didn't care what I, what I sounded like. He didn't care what I was singing. It was, it was just like Andy was saying. God is tuned into the voices of our hearts. And so um, I know that, like, as I've gotten older, it's been a little more difficult for me to find that secret place. I've got three kids. We've got three kids, five and under. And there is no secret place in our house, you know. Like, I don't even go to the bathroom alone. So it's like, 
uh, Lord, you just got to meet me where I am. And God has been so faithful to do that. And there have been so many times where I've been wa- washing dishes and I've just turned on, you know, worship music. Like I remember there's just one day I turned on this old, uh, this old Jeremy Riddle song came on Pandora. It was, Jesus, you're more than a friend. You know, Jesus, you're more than my heart could ever express. And I just like broke down because I just felt the presence of God just start to minister to me as I'm elbow deep in dishwater, you know. And that's just the beauty of when you know the presence of God and you invite the presence of God to invade your life at any moment. God, would you just interrupt the mundane? Would you interrupt my daily life? And, 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 and also to set apart that time where you're seeking him because I firmly believe that if we're not um, at the feet of Jesus on a regular basis, if we're not pouring out our hearts to him in worship, then what we do when we set foot on a stage is just singing songs. It's just making noise. And we can't lead people where we haven't been ourselves, you guys. You know, we can't teach what we don't know. We can't lead where we don't go. So if we're not spending time in the secret place, if we don't know the heart of God inside and out, then how can we expect to lead people there ourselves? And so that is why it's so important for us to find ourselves in that place where we are engaging with God long before we step foot on the stage and try to engage people with God. And um, when I first came to Harvest, uh, I guess it was like, I don't know, nine or ten, nine years ago, um, when I first came on staff, I remember like I was just this kid. I didn't know what I was doing. I just knew that I loved to worship God and I loved to see people worship God. And that was what like fueled my fire more than anything else, you know. Um, But I remember I used to stand on stage and and this is a little bit of a kind of a different thing, but um, I would keep my eyes closed whenever I would worship. And I remember our pastor said to me one day, hey, what's your, what's your reasoning behind, like, why do you keep your eyes closed the whole time while you're leading worship? And I would just be like, well, you know, I'm just singing to the Lord, and I don't want to be distracted. It's just me and Jesus. And he's like, well, actually, there's a whole room full of people with you. If you would open your eyes, you'd see that they're there. And, and they're looking to you for leadership. And I'd be like, oh, right, yes, okay. And uh, you're, you're right. And it just kind of, I started opening my eyes. <laughs> and I started seeing people and seeing their faces and watching them worship God. And I realized, like, this is the thing that is going to fuel my worship more than anything else when I'm, when I'm up here and I'm calling the people of God into the presence of God. When I'm seeing the, these people that I know and love, and I'm watching them engage with God and lift their hands and lift their voices in spite of their circumstances. That's the thing that makes me want to sing a little louder and put my fists in the air and go, yes, God, you are faithful even in the hardest of circumstances. And I can see it in the faces of your people here because they believe it and they know it. And they're singing truth about you. They're singing it over themselves and they're singing it back to you. And man, that, makes, that fires me up. I just want to do cartwheels on stage. And I mean, who knows? I might have in the past, but... Um, Anyway, but I think like for us as worship leaders, maybe, oh, now we just do see do Yeah, that's true. That, anyways, that's, uh, but I think for us, like as, as worship leaders, like it's not about, um, it's about being private worshipers first. And then that translates onto a stage because when we're, when we're engaging people, like we're, like keeping our eyes open and being able to see them, like it's not only that that's going to fuel our worship, but it's also that we can read the room. We can see where our people are at. Are they with us? Are they engaged? Do we need to kind of stop the song and go like, hey, guys, 
Like we are standing in the presence of God and he wants to meet with us. And we're not just singing these songs to fill a time slot. We're singing these songs because it's a commandment in worship. And this is actually, in the, in the Bible, and this is actually what we're going to be doing for all of eternity. So we're rehearsing. We're getting ready for, as Andy was saying, for the big event. Like this is significant. This matters. And we're singing this truth over ourselves. And when we get our eyes on God, our circumstances become small. You know what I'm saying? And so like it's so important for us to be able to see where our people are at and 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 understanding like also when I was a uh, I think when I was just kind of starting out again I I just would always say I just want to be invisible like I'm leading people in the presence of God I don't want anybody to see me I just want to be invisible or if that were the case then uh, like I'd go stand behind a curtain with a microphone but that would just be weird because then people would be like where's that voice coming from is that a recording or is that is that live and Lord is that you like I didn't think you'd sound so much like a female like that's weird you know what I'm saying? Like, so it's this, I think the question we have to ask ourselves is, we are visible. So what are we doing with our visibility? Are we calling attention to ourselves? Are we trying to fulfill some dream, some musical aspiration that didn't get fulfilled elsewhere? Are we really, do we really want to call people in the presence of God? Because we have tasted and seen that the Lord is good and we have spent time there and we want desperately for our people to experience the living God like we have. And so what are we doing with our visibility? Because what we should be doing is look at him. Is saying look at him. Andy has this great analogy and I'll just say this and I'll, I'll let Jacob talk for a bit. Uh, of a tour guide. He went to Israel some years ago and and he had a tour guide that was this little lady that was like not even five feet tall. But as she led this team of people all throughout Israel, she commanded this authority, not in a way that was domineering, but in a way that was, was knowledgeable. She knew exactly what she was talking about. And, and it was almost like the people were experiencing these, these places and they could see in their mind's eye where Jesus walked and how he lived and, and, and you know, all of these things that he did and all that he accomplished. And so he gets back home and he's looking through all of his pictures and, and he's kind of just reliving this time that he's had in Israel and how impactful it was. And he starts to look for his, this tour guide and he's like, oh, I, well, surely Arit, her name was Arit, surely she's in our picture. She was everywhere in, in every location. So surely, like, we got a photo of her, right? Gets to the very last photo is the group, is the team picture. And she's not even there. And he says that as he was staring at this picture and couldn't find Arit, he realized that's what we do. We are tour guides. And our job is to point people to something that's greater than ourselves. We're not the thing that the people came to see. But we are the thing. Well, it's his thing. I'm just regurgitating. Uh, but, we, but we are the ones that God has set in a place to say, hey, guys, if we could just get beyond the veil, if we could just get into the presence of God, you will realize, you will find all your needs met and you will see the Lord high and lifted up and he is everything that you need and that is the place that we need to be because that is where all your problems subside and that's where you find everything is in the presence of God. 
But it all comes full circle back to that place of is Jesus truly the treasure of our hearts or are we trying to fulfill some musical dream in our church? You know, and it comes back to that thing of are we loving our people more than the music? Well, if we want to love our people more than the music, and that we already have discussed how hard that can be, how challenging people can be. The only way that we can do that is in the power of the Holy Spirit, walking by the Spirit, not by our flesh, and saying, God, I just need you to fill me up here in your presence alone. As I get in your word, seeking you, I need you to fill me up so I can pour out into your people because we just need to meet with you, and we need to have an encounter with you. I'll stop talking. That was great. Uh, well, we've, we've heard a little bit of uh, the heart behind our worship philosophy, and we've heard the heart behind how we engage with our volunteers and how we do ministry with people. We've heard the heart behind the heart of the worship leader, worship in the secret place uh, versus on the stage, what that looks like. So maybe uh, with the little time that we have left, I just give you a couple super practical things this is how we go about doing a couple things here at Harvest. So Andy mentioned the one through five system, uh, the, n- not the other one through five system, the one with the songs that is the sharpening funnel to the uh, the place of ascription, the vertical song. So uh, what we do is we get together as worship leaders and we have a meeting and we consult something that we have called the top 40. The top 40 is a spreadsheet that has all of our songs that's in our current rotation, and there's probably a lot more than 40. We just call it the top 40. And uh, they're categorized into ones, twos, threes, fours, fives. There's dates that shows the last time the song was used, and then there's other categories, communion songs, closing songs, uh, hymns, uh, off but not lost, which is essentially oldie, you know, oldies but goldies. And we sit together and we uh, create a service that reflects the heart of the philosophy that we've all ascribed to. Uh, But there's a couple things that we do because we are creatives, like Andy says, to help build that bridge to the vertical place. We don't always use songs. Uh, Let's say that we do open up the heavens and then we may do blessed be your name. And in the place of the three, instead of doing a three song like You Never Let Go, maybe we're going to do a special element. We call them uh, special elements. So what we'll do is, you know, uh, I'll be up here leading, and we get done with the second song, and uh, I say, we've got a mic right here, and we've got a mic right here. I'd like to get five people on this mic and five people on this mic that have a scripture that has to do with the faithfulness of God. If God's been faithful to you and there's a scripture that speaks to that, why don't you come right now to these mics and after we sing this song, we're going to hear from God's word. And then maybe we'll sing Never Once. It's just about the faithfulness of God. And then we get to hear from God's word and God's people about the faithfulness of God. And maybe we sing that chorus one more time. We're building this rock-solid bridge that's leading to the Holy of Holies. It's not this Indiana Jones, missing plank, you know, crocodiles underneath kind of thing. It's rock-solid. Everyone knows where we're going. Everyone knows what the theme is. Uh, Another special element that we may do is baptisms, you know. Our baptisms are set up that, that say, you know, it's an interview with the person being baptized, and it's always, what was your life like before God? And then the but God moment. And then what is your life like now? And we get to hear that 
actual physical testimony in the testimony spot. Maybe in the five spot, instead of singing a song, we get super, super reverent and we're quiet and we read the words to a hymn, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That's kind of an example of how we elevate content above style. It'd be super easy, like Andy said, to say, okay, we're going to kick it off with just a rocking song, and then it's going to slowly get a little, you know, (laughs) more emotional, and then we're going to get really emotional at the end and make sure there's like three or four ramps into big choruses. We could do it that way, and maybe it would be awesome. But we know it's going to be awesome when we elevate the content and the truth above styles. Um, To talk a little bit about our songs, we use... uh, uh, songs that we've written, and we also use songs that other people have written. And here's this a little bit of the process of how those songs make their way into our culture. Uh, what we used to do is we used to have listening parties. This was before we were writing tons and tons of songs for our church. And we'd tell everybody on the staff, on the, on the worship staff, uh, come to this meeting, have two or three songs that you think would really bless our, our congregation and worship, and we're going to listen to them. And we'd all sit there and listen to songs, and we'd talk about, well, I feel like this one lyrically is a little weak, or maybe this one, uh, the range is really broad. I don't know that we can sing that. And we'd pick a song. And then what we do is, is in the offertory special slot that happens after announcements, which is after the worship set, we do that song, and we kind of get a read. Did the people, uh, you know, go like this to the song, or did they kind of go like this to the song? If it goes great, the rotation is we put it in the offering spot. The next week, it goes in the actual service in whatever category it's meant to be in. And then we do we rest it for a week, and then we bring it back. So it's a four-week rotation, offertory special, in the service, rest it, and then in the service. And then we evaluate. You know, we have seven different campuses. Maybe, you know, three or four campuses are like, man, that song was incredible. And then another two campuses might be like, well, it was great except for this. And if we could do this, it would be great. We do the same thing with songs that we've written. Uh, Songs that we've written as a church. uh, Who here is writing songs for their church? They're specific. That's amazing. Uh, A couple little parameters that we have for songs that we write at our church. Uh, We write songs together, and then after we've written them, we immediately kind of offer constructive criticism. So we might have groups of three. We write a song, and then we each listen to that song, and we're all pouring into it right in that moment. Then there's a group of us that that, uh, Luke, Andy, and I that listen to the songs and kind of go through them and say, you know, uh, this one needs maybe a little bit more lyrical content, a little more uh, theologically sound content. And then ultimately, every song that goes on an album or is a big part of our church has to get approved by our senior pastor. I strongly encourage you to do that because there's not going to be anybody in your church that knows the word and knows the theme and the heart of your church, church like your senior pastor. And to have him speak into those songs is just vital. So after it's gone through those processes, Uh, It gets into our church and it goes on albums and things like that. Um, Those are just some super practical things that we kind of do regarding with, you know, the heart that these guys have kind of laid out there. Do we have time for questions? All right. Questions. Favorite color? Wow. Well, 
Okay. Quickly, say again. Oh. Yeah, not yeah, not really. But yes. I I think uh Fanny Crosby, the old hymn writer, wrote five, over 5,000 hymns. Uh, as a modern-day church, collectively, we're only singing two or three of them. There's a reason for that. Um, every song, I use this analogy a lot, but every song, like I'll go downtown to Chicago in the summer to watch the air show, and there's boats out on the lake with sails up. And some of them are just like cruising and some of them are just sitting like ducks in the water. And that reminds me very often that only the Lord puts the wind in the sails of a boat. You can build a boat, but only the Lord can push it. And no clever answers on motors here. You get my analogy. And I think there's some songs that the Lord uses and pushes them all around the world. And then there's some songs that the Lord was like, I just wanted that for your church. It doesn't need to go around the world. Um, and I think those songs are like vehicles. And if you commit, worship leaders get tired, worship leaders and worship bands get tired of worship songs faster than anybody else in the church. And it doesn't serve the band is not there to serve the band. The band is there to serve the people. And so when the band gets tired of a song, suck it up. When the when the, the church gets tired of a song, probably your senior pastor is probably the first person to tell you that because he stands there every week and he can actually feel the tiredness of the people over his shoulder way better than you can. But... Once you allow that song into your canon, I think it serves the people not to throw it out after two weeks just because you're bored of it, but actually commit to that. Um, because, you know, let's take a song like Cornerstone, which has been out a while, but if I stood up on my stage this weekend and said, hey guys, we're thinking about throwing out Cornerstone, they'd be like, no, you know, because for them it's still a vehicle that transports them to a place that we want them to go, and they love riding in that vehicle. I will replace that vehicle when someone, not just us, but someone builds a boat that says the same thing but better. That's when I'll throw out Cornerstone. Okay, we've been singing Cornerstone for three or four years now. It's getting a little tired, and someone, someone builds a boat that says the same thing better carries the same truth what i won't do is throw out cornerstone for a boat that says something different because honestly we write songs by going to writers retreats ourselves and sitting down and just asking one question what do we not have a song about you know that's how spirit of the living god came around so uh that's my short answer to that question Next question. Oh, Drew here has a mic if you want to. Uh, what does your senior pastor's involvement look like in crafting the weekend? 
senior pastor's involvement in what part? Oh, Crafting the weekend? the weekend experience. Um, our senior pastor picks the closing song of each service, um, and that is because it's within his structure of how he preaches. If there's a wheel with six spokes, uh, that means he's going to preach a five-point message, knowing that the sixth spoke of that wheel is the song that he's closing with. And the reason that's really influential is because he knows that when people go home and uh, if they're in a trial that week and they're bring, recollecting what came from church, a lot of times they won't, they won't remember their notes. They won't remember, oh, point three was this, but they will have that tune in their head. And uh, they'll, they'll have those lyrics like a lot quicker than they will uh, just like a point or a sentence. And uh, so it gets them back to the content by using that song. And so he, he, is, he is the guy who picks that. Every so often um, he'll ask, you know, hey, I'm going to preach on this. Like if we're with him uh, in the moment he's picking it, he'll ask for suggestions. But at the end of the day, we still, he's the guy who decides that. And he also is the filter for every service. So he, even though he's not in the actual planning meeting, uh, every single service gets sent to him on Wednesday. And from Wednesday to Saturday, he can come in and do whatever. So last week we had communion at the top. He, he saw that and he was like, no, no, I want it at the end. And I'll do it at the end after the sermon. Like, so he always can show up and influence. Uh, so he has influence in our service in that way. And uh, yeah, but he's not in the planning meeting, which a lot of times, but he was though for many years. So it's, we're not like anti that. Uh, but he, uh, once he saw that the people in the meeting cared about the things he cared about the same amount, then it wasn't really necessary for him to be there every single time. Yeah, I was just going to say, when I got to Harvest about seven or eight years ago, uh, he was coming to meetings and essentially saying, you don't quite have this right. And he essentially trained us all, if you can nail this model, uh, I can get up and preach anything. And so he essentially trained himself, trained us so that we can just go and do it, and he knows it's going to be great. Again, about the worship leader-senior pastor relationship. If you're not submissive to your senior pastor, then you shouldn't be in your job. Whether you agree with his preferences or not, you're not the man that God put in that role to run the church, and the worship of church is much greater than the music of the church. So James... Although he might not be, I'm definitely a better guitar player than he is. And Jacobs and, and Eddie and Meredith are better piano players than he is. But that guy knows the lyrics to way more worship songs than we do collectively on this stage because he's a worshiper before he's a preacher. And if you don't have that in your church then encourage, that's your relationship, that's your responsibility in that relationship to try and encourage your senior pastor to be more of a worshiper and have, you know, a lot of senior pastors come to me and they're like, I don't know how to talk about worship with my worship guy. I'm like, no, you do. What you're saying is you don't know how to talk about music with your worship guy. But if you're a senior pastor and you can't talk about worship, you shouldn't be a senior pastor, right? So... Of course you can talk about worship. It's a content-based thing. It's a content-based thing. Be submissive to your pastor. Allow him to also always have veto in the service to change songs. Like, know that that's the most attacked relationship in the church, and it's on both of you to 
get as close as you can to prevent the enemy from attacking or dividing it. Go ahead, dude. Stand up, shout it out. Sure, I'll, I'll answer that second one first. Uh, we have, uh, there's different ministries besides the worship ministry that have worship needs. Uh, so, for example, youth group is a place we've actually used to build people up. Even, like, grown men have served in youth group for a season to try to get them to the level that they can serve on weekends. Uh, we also, some campuses do, uh, we'll do like shadowing weekends where someone who's trying to get to the level in that position will attend the rehearsal and be there the whole time and just sit like behind the person so they kind of get a feel for what are the things that I'm missing in order to get my skill set up to par. Um, and then there's just people who are willing to serve for other things. So men's breakfast, uh, women's ministry, I mean, all these things where there's a need, uh, that's a great opportunity for them to, to clock more hours growing in their skill. As far as, uh, I think you said, you know, how big on stage, uh, we don't let anyone that's uh, taller than six foot seven on stage. Uh, Got to draw the line somewhere. Uh, <laughs> as far as like the sound and the number of people, when is it too much? I don't know. I will say this. This last year, I feel like uh, as a band member, as a keyboard player, and as a producer, I've had kind of a, an epiphany. Uh, I started playing with this artist, and she is full-on vibe. There's no click. There's no tracks. There's a, drum, uh, a drummer, a bassist, an electric guitar player, and keys. And she tracks the tape. It's about as pure as you can get. And I always kind of like, you know, the purists, I was always kind of like, all right, all right, all right. But I experienced what four people that are listening to one another could do. And it's insane. Uh, when the electric guitar and the piano, maybe the two lead instruments, are making eye contact and they're listening to one another and they're playing off one another and the bass player and the drummer are listening to one another. I think that's the most important thing is that to get your band, no matter how big it is, or how small it is to listen to one another. Sometimes in rehearsal, I'll hear everybody playing and it sounds like a mess. And I'll say, all right, in your aviums or your inner monitors or whoever's running your ears, I want you to make it so that you can hear yourself, your instrument, your voice, whatever, well. But I want it to be that you kind of have to strain because you're hearing everybody else. Dial back yourself, you know. And forcing people to listen just does so much. People begin to play a lot more sensitively. People begin to hear the build that the drummer's creating. Uh, I think that's the most important thing is learning to listen. Yeah. One more? Okay. 
small groups. No, you had. This is your thing. <laughs> we have found over the years, we tried everything. Like, let's all get into a book and let's all, like, but then you're rotating musicians in and out and there's a guy who's, you're on chapter 13 and he's on chapter 4, you know. And you're just like, gosh, you know, we've tried everything, 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 everything. And then I don't know if you're a small group-based church, are you? Yeah, great. Okay, so your worship ministry is actually not the discipleship ministry of the church. Small group ministry is the discipleship ministry of the church. No one joins the army to make friends. We join the army to go to war. And the worship ministry is the front line of a very, very aggressive spiritual war going on every weekend in your church. So it's go time. You get up on stage, and it's rehearsal time, and it's go time. Now, does that mean, does that, mean that if a guy comes to our rehearsal, he looks completely broken, he walks in, and I'm like, dude, are you okay? And he's like, not really. I'm like, okay, let's... Let's take 20 minutes aside here. Let's find 20 minutes. Maybe I have to go through the rehearsal first to get the whole team across the finish line. But then I'm going to take that guy aside and I'm going to sit down with him and I'm going to get into it. And I want to know what's up and I want to pray for him. But I'm not going to leave that conversation without asking him, who is your small group leader? And then before I've left that church, I'm going to call that small group leader. It'd be like I talked to this guy. And you need to call him within 24 hours or 12 hours. And I've done that a lot. I've done that a lot. Um, and that we have found just making it pretty much mandatory to be able to, it's on our application form to serve in our ministry. Are you in a small group? And if they answer no, I want to know why. And I want to get them in a small group before they get up on stage. Because depth you consider the depth god will consider the breadth of your ministry you consider the depth and the depth is discipleship the de the depth is getting people involved in the word of god and walking with christ on a weekly basis because um serving at the weekend is not filling up it's pouring out and you can't pour out of a cup that you haven't filled up I think that's all the time we have. Meredith, will you pray for us? Pray. Father, thank you so much for your presence here even now and for the time that we've had just to talk about what you're doing in, you know, just this small little place in Chicago. But God, we, we pray and we trust that something that we've said has encouraged the hearts of the people here. God, I thank you so much for every person that's in this room. You know exactly where they're serving you. You know the trenches that they're in. You know the discouragement, the challenges that they face. And God, I just pray that you would fill them up. Lord, in the days that they have at this conference, I ask that you would fill them up to overflowing, that they would um, be refreshed in your presence and by your word. And that you would equip them again for the task that you have set before them, for the thing that you've put in their hand to do. God, I just ask that um, you would renew our vision and our passion for what you've called us to. And God, that you would remind us that we, Lord, 
We're out to be faithful to you. We're not out to serve any agenda. We're not out to make a name for ourselves. We just want to honor you and we want to please you in every aspect of our lives. And so, God, I pray that you would call us back to the secret place and that you would be the desire of our hearts and that we would find you there and we would hear your voice and we would learn what it means to worship you, God. Because songs, they will come and they'll go and they'll get tired, but, Lord, the presence of God never never gets tired. It never gets old. And that's what we need, God, is more of you in our lives and for you to fill us up and to remind us um, of why we're doing this, God. So I just, I pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray that you would bless them, that you would encourage them, that you would fill them up and send them out. God, and thank you so much for the way that you're using them, Lord. And I just ask that you would um, just increase uh, their their vision and their passion for what you've called them to. We'll, we'll be careful to give you all the glory, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you guys so much. That was so good. Give it up for him one more time.